Tim, thank you very much indeed. Morning, everybody. It is uh, great to be together. It's been good to sing and to pray and to uh, praise and now to, to come to God's word. Hang on. I didn't screw it in properly. I have now. I think we're okay. Excellent. Everyone can hear? Good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for gathering us together this morning. Uh, we thank you that you've called each one of us here uh, because you want us here to come before you, to hear your word, uh, to pray and praise. And so we ask now, Lord, that you would indeed uh, speak into our hearts, give us ears to hear and humble, attentive wills to obey. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Do have your Bibles open there. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. We're back. Uh, now, I don't know if you hear this phrase. I, I don't really want a lot. I just want to be happy. You heard that? People say that. Maybe you've heard yourself say that. Uh, sometimes we don't. We, maybe even more often I hear it said uh, about aspirations for our children. You know, I don't mind what my little Johnny does. I just, so long as it makes him happy. Have you heard that? Uh, I always want to say, really? You mean even if pushing smaller children around gives him pleasure or becoming a drug dealer makes him happy? Uh, do you really mean that? I, I don't actually say that because I'm far too polite and I wouldn't. But, but, uh, but here's the question. Is happiness our highest goal? Is that really what we are after? Uh, there does seem to be a pursuit of happiness in our culture, of course, doesn't there? Uh, what do we need? Uh, maybe a cup of coffee would help. This is uh, the, the, the Costa, uh, uh, a little cup of happiness. Come across that. I'm sure you've had a, a cup of Costa, a cup of happiness. What about chocolate? Here's uh, uh, Cadbury's Unwrap Joy. This was their marketing campaign a little while ago. Uh, or goo. Who likes goo? I mean, this is uh, pleasure is everything. Give in to happiness. Perfect propriety, uh, reject propriety, sorry, embrace variety, prudence is so 1658, life is fleeting, clasp it hard with both hands, seek delight, trust your impulses, ordinary is pointless, break free. All hail the goo decadence. I mean, that is hilarious. I mean, that is brilliant. I mean, that is the culture of our age. That it captures it brilliantly. I don't know whether they're reflecting it or leading it. And I love my chocolate mousse as much as anybody else, but I think this is over the top. Uh, happiness, uh, we're, we're pursuing happiness, so, so many of us. And, and what brings happiness? Well, studies show, that, is it wealth? Of course, it must be money, surely money is. Well, there is a little bit of correlation, but interestingly, it's not absolute amounts, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's comparisons. So apparently, I, I read in one study, the best way to be happy in England is to earn a thousand pounds more than your next door neighbor. <laughs> Whatever they earn, as long as you've got a little bit more, That'll make you happy. What about health? Well, studies do show that there is some correlation, of course, between feelings of happiness and good health. Not surprising, but they're not absolute. What about relationships? Well, relationships uh, perhaps show the clearest correlation between uh, a sense of well-being or feelings of happiness uh, and, and good, positive, functioning relationships. Not surprising. But what happens if, if your close family and friends are far away? What happens if your life is in jeopardy, your health is at risk, you have no money uh, and the chocolate has run out and Costa is closed? You know, is it possible to be happy? I'm going to move this away. I think that's better. Oh, no. 
We'll keep going. We'll hopefully, that will pass. Uh, is, is it possible to be happy without all of these uh, these uh, superficial things, or not superficial, but good things, but but external things? Well, you know, the remarkable reading about our, of, of this book of Philippians is that it really is possible that that our happiness, that our joy, the joy that God wants for you, is not ultimately dependent on the temporary, fragile things of the world that one day will disappear. There is a, a deeper joy that God wants for our lives. And this letter is, is full of joy. We've seen that 14 times in this letter. Joy is the, is the, the, the word. And Paul's life, it's characterized by joy. Uh, and we remember Paul is, is not got his feet up in the Mediterranean with his coffee and his chocolate. He is in prison, uh, not knowing whether he's going to live or die. And, 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 and he's full of joy. And then he exhorts the, the, the Philippian Christians, doesn't he? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And I think he has to repeat it because the Philippian Christians, uh, life for them, for many of them, is, is not easy. And it's going to become harder because Roman persecution is just beginning and they're in a Roman colony and they're going to face this persecution. And there's false teaching within and, and, and there's divisions and disagreements in the congregation and things are not easy. And, and so they say, really, Paul, you're saying rejoice even in my situation. And Paul says, again, I'll say it, rejoice. See, joy is the mark of the, the Christian life. Uh, that's not always the impression, is it, Christians give. Uh, I think it was G.K. Chesterton humorously wrote, as he looked at a face of glum Christians, joy is the gigantic secret of the church. <laughs> so so we're, allowed to, we're allowed to laugh and smile. Uh, but of course, when Paul encourages Christians to rejoice, he doesn't mean you have to have a big smiley face all the time. He doesn't mean having warm, comfort, comfortable feelings all the time. He describes his own experience in, in 2 Corinthians as, as being sorrowful yet rejoicing. You know, even in the midst of tough, hard stuff, as uh, Emmanuel was sharing earlier, there is the possibility of joy as something deep and more profound than those temporary superficial feelings. And Paul is encouraging not either to rejoice in the suffering itself. You know, Christians aren't masochists. We don't rejoice in pain and, and suffering. Uh, but our joy, he's saying, is not in our circumstances nor in our situation. The joy is not in what we have or what we don't have. Uh, no, he says rejoice in the Lord. The secret of real, lasting, unshakable joy is Jesus Christ in knowing our sins forgiven, in knowing our guilt gone, a slate wiped clean, knowing that we are loved and secure in this world, knowing that we can be fruitful in God's purposes in this world, uh, knowing uh, that we have a sure hope of an eternity in his presence. That brings deep joy in Christ as we hold him right at the heart of our lives. You rejoice in the Lord. We're designed for joy in God. Uh, and when we come to know Jesus, joy or happiness will be the fruit. To put happiness as your great aspiration, to put that desire to be, to be happy ahead of the Lord is, is to put the cart before the horses. And however much good things we fill our lives with, and, and most of the good things we have are, are good things until they become God's things, until they become more important than him, uh, however much of these things we have, in the end, that 
joy, that happiness will be taken away because all of those things, however good they are, in the end will be taken away. So let's make Jesus our aspiration uh, rather than happiness, both for ourselves and for our children. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. That's Paul's exhortation here to us at the heart of, uh, of this letter in many ways. But he does have more to say. Uh, we've got a few more verses here to look at. Because he knows there are various things that might rob us of our joy. That might steal joy from our lives as Christians. Uh, that will cause us to take our eyes off Jesus, who is the, 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 the fountain of joy. Uh, and so three things I think we need to just look at briefly. Uh, we could have a sermon on each of them, but uh, we haven't got time. So uh, a couple of minutes on each. The first is this, that true joy requires unity in God's purposes. You see, when we're divided, when a Christian community is divided and disgruntled with others, when they're falling out within a church, it not only dishonors God and spoils our mission, but it ruins our joy. It steals the joy that we're called to have in Christ. And Paul is conscious of these two Christian women uh, in the church in Philippi who have fallen out. And he uses strong language for them to be reunited because it's so important. Let's look down at verse 2. I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Uh, here, these, these women are Christian women. We know that they're Christian. Uh, as John Stott in his commentary he calls them, Euodius and so touchy. Uh, I, you know, that was a long time ago. We don't know, who, we don't know anything about them. We don't know anything about these, these women except that they're Christian. Their names are in the book of life. They're keen Christians, not just peripheral, not just on the edge. They're described as co-workers with Paul in God's gospel purposes. And somehow they've fallen out. Somehow they've become divided. And he's pleading with them to make up, to be with one mind. And he's asking his true companion, uh, we don't know who that is, uh, but probably a church leader, to help them be reconciled. See, unity in the church is, is vital. Not a uniformity. That is, not everyone being just like each other, uh, but a unity in the gospel, agreeing in the Lord. Not falling out over personality issues or, or personal preferences or an oversensitivity to, to, to about being wronged. No, unity in what really matters. You see, disunity robs the church of joy. It robs you of joy. Yeah, it makes you not want to come on a Sunday if, you're, if you've fallen out with something. It makes you feel uncomfortable, feeling awkward. Uh, forgiveness and reconciliation is what Christ has come to bring. Firstly, between us and God, as we remember at the communion, and then between brothers and sisters in Christ. So we need to seek unity in God's purpose. If, if we are to be joyful, if the church is to be a church that is marked by joy. Uh, Paul reminds us there's a need for gentleness in our relationships in verse 5. As we recognize that the Lord Jesus, who was gentle and lowly in heart, is near. Gentleness marks Christian relationships and unity. So let's seek that as as a church. Unity in Christ, unity in the gospel. That's so that we can be a church full of joy.
Second thing uh, that Paul makes clear that true joy requires is experience of God's peace. Because if disunity robs you of joy, well, undoubtedly anxiety, constant worry, some of you will know this a lot in your experience, saps people of joy. And you see the antidote here, if God's peace as a result of prayer Verse 6, these verses will be familiar to some of you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's a command here, isn't there? And there's a promise. There's a command and a promise. The command is to pray with thanksgiving. When you are stressed out, when you're anxious about things, it is often so easy to just focus on that mountain that is in front of you. You know, the problems mount up, the problems become big. Uh, The situation you're facing at work or the family relationship that is so difficult or the letter that's come from the doctor that has news that you did not want to hear. These things, they, they crowd in, they fill our thinking, that our fear uh, can take over. And it's impossible to rejoice when, when these things crowd in. Uh, and we need to turn our eyes to the Lord. You know, I, I love Psalm 121. Many of you will know that. I remember seeing on the screen when I, before I came, watching people talking about Psalm 121. You know, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? You know, that time it was written for pilgrims on their way up to Jerusalem. And they'd go up through uh, uh, these, these hills uh, and the travellers would look up and they were full of danger. There were uh, armed gangs and wild animals and, and, and steep falls. They were enough to make anybody anxious as they travelled up to, to Jerusalem. And, and, and the psalmist says, I, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And then, do you remember, he lifts his eyes a little bit higher above the hills. And he says with the confidence, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. See, the Lord needs us to pray. He wants us to pray, to turn to him, to lift our eyes above the the mountains of anxiety, the things which crowd in on us, uh, lift them above to to see him. The one who hears and answers. And we pray with thanksgiving. That's, you notice that there's three words for intercession and prayer, but then thanksgiving is right in there. It's... It's easy to bring to God nothing but our needs, especially when the needs feel so big, when the problems feel so great, they crowd in on us, and, and so it's hard to look above or, or, or aside. But it's especially at times that like, we need to, to look at the positives. We need to count our blessings, name them one by one, as the old hymn says. You know, even with a paper and a pen and, and write down some things, even in the midst of anxiety, that that you're thankful for. In the face of anxiety, it robs us of of the joy that God wants for us. And the command is to turn to God in prayer with thanksgiving. And that wonderful promise, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. This is something that that transcends understanding. That, That is, you can't, manipulate it, you can't engineer it, you can't design it for yourself, you can't work it up somehow in you. Uh, This peace is something that comes from God, that is transcending understanding, uh, and it'll stand guard, he says. This is a military term, like a soldier, 
that Paul would have probably seen standing guard over his house. Uh, this peace will stand guard over your heart. That's the promise. You see, anxiety robs us of, of joy. Uh, prayer leads to peace. I'll never forget the day I went round to visit a, uh, an older couple, John and Marie. Uh, I'd been many times before actually to share communion with Marie. John wasn't a believer. Uh, at first, for the first probably three or four years, Marie was housebound, John would be out when I'd come and I'd come and we'd share and, and have communion. And then, and then John would be, we'd stay in. He'd stay in, but he'd sort of be in another room for the next couple of years and he'd, he'd bring tea in afterwards. He'd make the tea and he'd bring in and we'd have a chat afterwards. And then John started sitting in the, in the room, but wouldn't take communion. He would just sit and be sort of part of the, the home communion uh, with Marie and listen to the, to the prayers. And then there was a day that I, I visited uh, them just before Easter. And Marie was um, just telling me about earlier in the week how she and John had been talking about faith and got into a bit of an argument and John had gone off. And then John took over the conversation. He said, yeah, I went off. And, and later that day, though, I was, re I was reflecting and I was thinking about what she'd said and what we'd talked about. And as he spoke to God, who he didn't really know, as he was thinking about these things, he, he described this unexplainable, overwhelming peace that had just come over his self and, and filled his heart. And he said to me, he said, John, I, I, I think I've become a Christian. I think I've become a Christian. Well, we went through the gospel. He, he prayed to give his life to Christ just, just to make sure. Uh, but he had. There was just great rejoicing. This was the peace that passed his understanding. had come over his heart just as he prayed to a God that he wasn't even sure was, was real or there. Uh, and the joy of Jesus filled their hearts and their home. Uh, you know, we're only to find true, lasting, solid joy in the Lord when we come to him, when we seek him in prayer, uh, when worry and anxiety steal that joy away and, and Satan will love that to happen, uh, we look outwards above the mountains to the Lord with thanksgiving and receive his peace. Uh, there's joy in unity in God's purposes. There's joy uh, when we experience God's peace. And, and lastly, briefly, the other thing we need is is an awareness of God's presence. Here's another command with a promise. If you've got uh, a Bible, look down, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. And the God of peace will be with you. What a wonderful promise that is. Not only that God himself uh, gives us his peace, that was the promise at, at the end of verse 7, but the God of peace gives us himself. So he's not just sending some peace, he is coming himself to be with us. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? Uh, but let's be clear about the condition, because there is a condition in this promise. You know, God doesn't promise to dwell with those who are just living however they want, uh, filling their minds with uh, whatever comes at them. Now, the, the promise is here, isn't it, for those who are serious about growing in holiness of mind and behavior. 
who focus their minds on, on good stuff, on God's stuff, who are wanting to put into practice the teaching of the, the New Testament, who will model their lives on the Apostle Paul, who modeled himself on the life of Jesus. Yet the mind is a powerful thing. Uh, apparently, us human beings have between 50 and 70,000 thoughts every day. That's the averages at 40 every minute, which will be around 1,000 different thoughts you've had during this sermon. And I won't ask how many have been I mean, about the sermon and not about the cake sale or Sunday lunch. But, but uh, our mind is a powerful thing. It shapes us. It, it's the whole neuroscience now is showing this plasticity. What you think about shapes you. It, it, and... And Paul knows that. He didn't know the neuroscience, but he knew that, that what you think about shapes your heart and shapes your life. And many thoughts are, are inconsequential, but, but where we focus our minds, what we allow to fill us, what we spend our time thinking about most of the time, really matters if we want to be joyful people. Truly joyful, not just fleetingly happy. You know, there's nothing inherently wrong, is there? I don't think with with Hello Magazine or, or Netflix box sets or Facebook feeds. Uh, you know, some of those can be really good, but, but, but if that's what mostly fills our minds, that shape us must, they're not going to lead to true joy. More dangerous if pornography or violent films and, and games are those things which fill our minds, which constantly fill our minds. They may give a fleeting moment of pleasure, but... But in the end, they spoil and disappoint and lead to death, not to life, to sorrow, not to joy. But if we choose to focus our mind on, on good things, on God things, if we'll meditate on God's revelation in creation, in the beauty of creation, in relationships, in people, in the positives, in, in the scriptures, if we're committed to growing in holiness, in a likeness of, of Jesus, then he promises that God of peace will be with you. His presence is real, lasting joy when you know God by His Spirit dwells with you. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. It was Franz Joseph Haydn. You know, some of you know the great composer, remote, 104 symphonies he, he wrote. He said this. He said, when I think upon my God, my heart is so full of joy that the notes dance and leap from my pen. You know, I think he just focused himself on God and his, uh, it was the source of, of his writing because his heart was full of joy. You know, joy is the mark of the Christian whose heart is owned by Jesus, whose life is focused on Jesus. United with others in the gospel, praying when times of stress and anxiety come, focusing on the things of God and the things of and good things, admirable and noble. Uh, so can I encourage you this morning, can I encourage, as I encourage myself in this, uh, don't pursue a happiness as an end in itself. It always disappoints, but rather pursue the Lord. Pursue Jesus. Put him front and center. Keep him right at the heart of your life. And he will bring true joy that brings you through tough times and takes you up on mountaintops and will enable us as a church to flourish and grow uh, full of joy. I'm going to pray in a moment. Maybe the band are going to come up. And uh, we're going to come move into a, into a time of communion as we celebrate the heart of our faith, the cross and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe during that time, as we're quieter, and we reflect a little bit, uh, you might want to just ask God to seal on your heart something that he's been saying from this passage.
But maybe there's reconciliation needs to be done. Uh, maybe there's uh, anxiety filling your heart and you're asking God to help lift your eyes to trust him. Uh, maybe it's somewhere where you need to reset. You've been going off down paths that are not what God would have for you and you need to come back to focus your mind and your life on holy things. Let me pray, then we're going to stand and sing together as we come to communion. Father, we thank you for this great encouragement in your word to seek Jesus, that we might find true joy, true joy in him, Lord, that joy that uh, will be lasting and solid and unshakable, a joy that we can experience even in the midst of sorrow and tough times, a joy that we will find uh, even when we're anxious and worried, a joy, Lord, that we'll discover as we're restored onto righteous paths. Oh Lord, fill our hearts, we pray, with, with Jesus. Uh, fill our lives uh, with him. Uh, that we might know that mercy and love and grace afresh. And that we might have joy in him. For we ask it in his name. Amen. <laughs>